relationships this morning, the relationship being a family, uh, the relationship with, flock, with uh, folly, the relationship with flattery, and the relationship with freedom. So we're seeking, seeking to look at four relationships this morning as we dig into Galatians chapter 4. With that being said, we're going to read the entire chapter this morning because we intend to move through the entire chapter of the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians. So if you will, let us now read together. I will not ask you to stand since it is such a lengthy reading this morning, but let us read together the word of God in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth, again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now, and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, 
Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage. We thank you for this wonderful letter you've been allowing us to go through together, God. We pray that we would always humbly come before you, God, that we don't know... We, we don't know everything about this book, oh God. Father, we've not learned everything that we could have learned in this book, God. But, Lord, you continue to just plant us in this book, learning from it, growing from it, oh God. Father, may we always have an humble attitude when it comes to your word, oh God. May we always know that there is something lacking in us that needs to be formed, even as it was in the Galatians, oh God. Father, may we have a heart of repentance that all the things in our lives, which ought not to be all the things of our lives, which can contrary to your word, God, may we bring them before you, repent of them, confess them before you, O God, Father, that you would make it right in our lives, that we would rightly be ordered for you, that we would rightly be living for you, O God. Father, what a history of that we have seen throughout your word. We see it in this passage this morning. We pray that you communicate it unto us, that you're opening our hearts, our minds, everything about us to receive this message, that God, you would plant it deeply within us, that you would bring forth the harvest in this new season. God, that it would bring forth what you would have it bring forth, oh God, and that it would not be corrupted by tears of, of other things, oh God. But we just love you, and we thank you this morning. We pray that you feed your lambs and feed your sheep, getting all the honor and glory to your high and holy name. We do pray it all, my son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. As previously mentioned, this book has been much about relationships. I told you, I was listening to Brother Neil Aldred. He called it well. He was actually, told you all some time ago that he was also preaching through the book of Galatians. He's done now. I'm not listening to him in advance of where we are. I've only listened to him preaching through where we have already been so that I don't get confused and just preach his outline because I assure you it's probably better than mine anyway. But Brother Aubrey, as I was listening to him, he had a good point. He was preaching through either chapter 2 or chapter 3, but he keyed in on something that I had missed. He said, it's not about rules. It's about relationships. And surely that captivates much of this book of Galatians. That it's not about rules, but it's about relationships. And Paul has been doing that in every sense of the way. And how fatherly he has been in his approach. Now, I don't know if Paul had children. We have no record of him having physical children in this world. But what Paul did was he was continuously adopting people in his life as his children. He was continually taking them on. He would take churches on as his children. He would take certain leaders of the church as his children. He would take Titus as a son in many ways. He would take others as sons in the faith in many ways. Beloved, there is something about a Christian that we take people under our wings. We're seeking to be as God. That's what he has done in every single generation. That's what Jesus even said to them. He said, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how often I would have taken you as, and I'm paraphrasing here, as a mother hen would her eggs, as she would have taken her brood under her wings. She would have taken all of her children under her wings and protected them. That's the way that God is toward us. We see that Paul is presenting himself in that same light that beloved there ought to be people in our lives that we have such a relationship with that we're wanting to take them under our wings as much as it is somebody that we can help somebody that we can protect somebody that we can move along do we see poor sinners around us slumbering on the brink of woe knowing that death is coming hell is moving can we bear to let them go Paul cannot bear to let them go. Paul has seen an error 
and these children of Galatia and his children that he has as he speaks to them as a father. So he begins with this. Even as he is speaking to them in a fatherly way, it's actually the way of a big brother because he addresses them as who their true father is. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, deferreth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. How humbling is that? That a child is nothing but a servant. A child has no has nothing else but a servant, though he be lord over all. The child in its due season is going to become heir of all that the parents have. We were at an estate yesterday. We were celebrating some things, and we were at this estate, and I got to thinking, I was like, how many children does this person have? Because when the parent of this estate dies, the children are going to inherit quite a bit of things, quite a bit of money, quite a bit of land, quite a bit of these other things. There's going to be an inheritance that these children have. But right now, even though they're full-grown adults, they defer there's nothing from a servant. They're working the estate. They're already joint heir. They're already heirs together. One of them doesn't even live in the country, but he's already an heir. He still has the hope of the promise, and that's what Paul is communicating. You defer nothing from a servant. You're in the status of a servant, even though you be lord over all. He says, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. There's coming a day to where the inheritance is going to pass. There's coming a day that there was a day that I inherited land from my parents. They were so gracious. Things didn't work out. We didn't get to build where we wanted to. We didn't get to live in the house that we wanted to. But still, there was a gifting of some property to me and Tara that we would be able to live on that land. There was an inheritance that was given to us, but it was not until the time appointed of the Father. There's coming a day that my father and his brother also inherited land from his mother, from their mother, that they inherited the inheritance, but it was not until the time appointed. Beloved, there is a way that the father is moving, that the Galatians, perhaps they are wondering about the time. Perhaps the Galatians are wondering about the promise. You've heard me call this the promise and the problem, and that seems to be much. I still land in that, that it's a good title for this book, is that Paul is trying to get them across to them. There is the promise of Christ given unto you, but there's a problem with the way that you're relating to it. I told you it's all about relationships this morning, the relationship between this and that. Well, here the relationship of problem that we have is the relationship between the Galatians and their heavenly father. They're wanting to be as the as they're wanting to be as the prodigal son. They're wanting their inheritance now. They're wanting to see things in their own time. Lord, help me. That's me. I want to see it right now. I want the change to happen right now. I want everything to be able to see everything as it's going to unfold right now. I don't have the patience of the father. I have the impatience of the prodigal son. But beloved, even the son that stayed behind, may I submit to you that he too was impatient. Did you not hear him? And when the prodigal returned, he addresses the father. And he said, you never gave us a young goat and a kid. You never gave us that we may make merry. You never gave us this. You never gave us that. So too, both sons were impatient with the father. And that's what Jesus is using to communicate. If we read the passage of the prodigal son, really what we understand the passage to be about is not about the son. It's not about the older brother. But the ultimate message of that passage is about the father himself. That there is a reason that he is using it. He is using to bring the sons both into fellowship with him. We get astray from our Heavenly Father sometimes because we want it now, but it's not necessarily always in the fullness of time which God has for us. Look as he says in verse 3, even so we, when we were in bond, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, 
made under the law. What is Paul doing there? It's not an accident that he chooses this language. I told you I'm impatient. I've got these problems, and we want it now. Am I saying that we're not children of the promise? Am I saying that the fullness of time has not yet come? Well, Paul just said that when it was time that the fullness of God had come, when the fullness of time had come, so that tells me the fullness of time has already come. In that in his son, the promise is given. The promise is given under two accounts. There were two things that needed to happen. First of all, Christ could be born under a woman. Christ could not have an earthly father. It had to be the heavenly father alone, which was Christ's father. For the sin was passed from the Adamic line, from the line of the father down to the child. That's how the sin is understood to be passed in the history of Israel. That's how the sin problem is passed is through the lineage of the Father. That's why Christ had to be born of a woman. It didn't say born of a man. It says born of a woman in order to communicate and orient us back to that blessed truth that he was given the promise even in Genesis chapter 3 that he promised that there was going to be an offspring that was going to crush the hill of the serpent even as his hill was going to be, the head of the serpent even as his hill was going to be bruised. That's why he needed to be born under a woman, not under a man. He had to be born the son of God under a woman because it was through the lineage of that woman that a child was going to come that had been promised. And not only that, but he was also made under the law, that he was the one that had to bear the law. He was the one that had to follow every jot and tittle of the law and fill it to its perfection. I've had people in my life that they never would give me the answer they were looking for, but they would also always ask me, what does that word fulfilled mean? I'll tell you what that word fulfilled means. It means filled full. What else do you want me to say? It means filled full. It means put a cap on it. It means it's done. The law in Christ is done. There is no more law after Christ. He was made under a woman. He is the promise that we were going to receive. He is the promised inheritance which we needed to receive. He is the promised redeemer that was promised even from Genesis chapter 3. But not only that, he is born of a woman. He is born under the law and he is filled in full in order to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Paul is communicating that they had not yet received the adoption of sons. He's reminding the Israelites that may be in this church of Galatia. He's reminding anyone that may be trying to now follow the practices of Judea, of Judaism, that that's not what's going to cut. That's not what makes them sons. That's not what adopts them into the kingdom of heaven. Instead, what ultimately adopts them into the kingdom of heaven is that they be in Christ. Even everybody that was ever born of the law was ultimately looking to the day of Christ. Everybody that was under the sacrificial law was looking to the final sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Everybody that was born under the law had to be looking to Christ. It was still by faith that Abraham pleased God. It was still by faith all the way along. It was faith that the Son, Christ Jesus, was going to come and that through him we would be made sons and that thereby we would be made joint heirs. In verse 6, And because ye are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. One of my favorite notes about that word Abba is it's kind of similar to the word mom. Now, I know it's for daddy. It's like if we were to say, if you look up my father's name and my phone, is D-E-D-D-Y. One time mother got a hold of my phone for some reason. I don't know why. She changed it. She wanted it to spell D-E-D-D-Y. I'm like, that's not his name. His name is daddy. And I mean, his name is spelled D-E-D-D-Y. You'd be like, well, you country boy. And I'm like, yeah, I say it daddy, so I call him by that name. I spell it that way. It is a special connection that I have. Multiple nicknames for him. Oftentimes I call him Mama and Dada. And that's just from a young children's book that we used to have that I've just taken to call him now. But if ever it is something that I'm in need of referring to my father in a certain way, it usually comes out daddy. I still call him Dado most predominantly now. That's how I refer to him. 
But Debbie's the name that I use when I need something. And I'm spelling it D-E-D-D-Y because that's the special connection that I have with him. That's the special way that I address him is Daddy. That's this word Abba. Abba would be the first one that they learn to speak. In the, here in our culture in English, Mama's the easiest word for a young baby to learn to speak. So that's the word that they first say is Mama. That's why Mama's usually the first word out of their mouths. In this culture, Abba is the easiest word for young children to say. It's usually that they're crying for, for, for their father, the first one. That's what Paul is trying to get communicated unto us. That we're trying to say, Daddy, Father. That's exactly what you're trying to say. You're referring to God in the sweetest of names. But you're referring out to him in desperation of something, in love, in affection for something. There is always power to the names that are given in the Word of God. When you see that God's name is used in different ways. This morning, I loved it as we were in Psalm 83, I believe it was, maybe in 84, but I think it was in 83, to where we have the name of Jehovah given unto us. There's different uses of the names of God in order to communicate these pictures. The picture that Paul is painting here is there is a desperation for our Heavenly Father, but there is a kindness of our Heavenly Father. There is just that fatherly approach that we all need. Some people grew up with a hard father. I didn't grow up with a hard father. I grew up with a wonderful father. I'm blessed. I have dear friends that grew up with hard fathers, though. They hear their stories and how they had a problem relating to God as their heavenly father because of the way that their earthly father had been. I submit to you that as wonderful of an earthly father as I had, he does not compare to my heavenly father. There's no means that he can line up. Now, I believe he belongs to him. He's given me enough evidence. I believe he also belongs to my heavenly father. But, beloved, no, how, no matter how good your earthly father was, no matter how bad your earthly father was, we have a greater relationship with our heavenly fathers. That relationship always needs to be understood that we're the family of God. I told you that Paul, in many ways, is connected to being fatherly, but Paul is also connected to the Galatians as big brotherly. He's wanting to know that we are the family. And that's why we first see that the first relationship we're dealing here is a family. I think of a sermon from S.M. Lockridge that I even heard my granddaddy. I didn't even know if he knew who S.M. Lockridge was. They're not sure he does. But it was an S.M. Lockridge sermon that was often quoted so many times in the 1970s, I think it was. Some of you may know of the story. Some of you may remember the story. I don't know. But some of you have at least heard the story how Time Magazine it was came out and said that God is dead. And S.M. Lockridge, in his response in the sermon, he said, and they say that God is dead. He says, well, if God is dead, why wasn't I notified? I'm a member of the family. I'm one of the heirs. Why was I not notified? I love that sermon critique, that we know that God is not dead. Otherwise, we would have been notified. But, beloved, that is a promise that we cling to. When everybody else is putting every other demand in our life, everybody else is trying to add things to the gospel or take things away from the gospel, no matter what the case is, I'm able to look at God and say, I am his and he is mine. I'm able to look at God and know that he is my heavenly father. I'm able to look at this man on the front row and know that no matter what happens, I'm his son. As many times as I have messed up, as many times as I have done wrong, do you know what I have never once doubted that I belong to Paul Smith as his son? Even as an adult now, I am profoundly reminded I am that man's son, and that brings me joy in an earthly sense. But what brings me greater joy is that no matter how many times I've messed up, no matter how many mistakes and just errors have been made, it is that because he has made me his son, he has put forth the spirit of his son into my heart, and he's causing me to cry out, Abba, Father. When I mess up, my first cry is, Abba, Father. When things go wrong in this world, I've often cried, Daddy. And he's been a great help in so many ways. He is a great help. I truly messed up in the greatest of ways. It's Father. I may not say Abba, but it's that sentiment. It's Father, I've messed up. Father, I need to come and do it. All that I see is my failure. 
and yet he still welcomed him as his son. But the prodigal son looked at his father and he knew that he could eat better in his father's house. Now the prodigal went back to his father and he said, Dad, I've messed up. He said, I just want to be your servant. But the father looked at him and said, No, son. Three other relationships we need to go through, but God, I'm done with this 